have a, a process or a vision for what I share with you when I get this opportunity. It's usually just whatever I've been learning, I decide that uh, I'd like to share with you. And so over the past year or so, preparing for youth, I've read, uh, read a, a number of books and gone through a number of video series on Right Now Media. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but they were all basically on the same topic. And so I just thought to myself, that must be a God thing. You know, God's trying to teach me something here. And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to learn it, so are you guys. So uh, that's what I'm going to share today. But I was really concerned, uh, to be honest, that um, I felt like I was assembling a sermon rather than creating a sermon. I was just, uh, I was so influenced by these resources. I want to share them all with you very briefly, uh, just, just really just to give credit to, uh, to the people who kind of put together the thoughts that I've kind of assembled for you today. So um, Kyle Eidemann has written a book called Not a Fan. Francis Chan has a video series on Right Now Media, as well as a book called Crazy Love. And the premise of this is literally just says, you know what, it's so crazy how much God loves you. And then he just explores all these different ways that God's constantly showing his love for us. Andy Stanley's book, Follow, and uh, J.D. Greer's uh, Right Now Media series called uh, Can't Believe, um, was really an interesting one. It's, uh, he went through the book of John. And in the book of John, he went through chronologically, there's six times, six different people in the book of John who heard the gospel right from Jesus and yet didn't believe. And so it was very interesting to kind of see him break down the type of people that were struggling and to realize those, those people are still among us today. So uh, if, you're, if anything I say today kind of piques your interest, I'd strongly suggest any or all of these resources. If you're not on Right Now Media, it's free. The church will provide it for you. You give Pastor Mark your, uh, your email address, and you'll be able to access. I think they're, they're claiming now there's over 14,000 teaching videos uh, available on Right Now Media. So we're going to see one of those video clips right now. born and he became this like prophet for eventually what would become Christianity and then at the age of 32 he died on the cross and it's like three days later he was resurrected. I don't have an opinion on Jesus. I believe that religion was just created to control the masses really. Jesus is the our Lord and Savior that died on the cross for us for our sins. Jesus is a uh person that existed that continues to enrich the lives of people every day. Jesus is God's son and he was sent to save our sins. I think he is a pretty cool guy. He had a, a peaceful philosophy. I think he's misinterpreted by a lot of people. He's the savior of this world. I don't know because I don't really believe in him so I don't really think anything of him. I mean he could have been a real person. I mean I'm sure he was. I mean I'm sure he was just you know good at what he did or something. I feel that Jesus is a modern-day scapegoat. Jesus is God, I think. Yeah, I just learned that. Uh, Jesus was a man, from what I figure. Who is Jesus? He was a dude. Lived back in the day. Pretty awesome. He had a beard. He was just kind of a guy with a really unique, positive message as that kind of gave a lot of people a lot of hope. He probably existed, but I don't believe that he was the son of God or anything. He died on the cross for us and uh, save us and rose again from the dead. I wanted to sound smart, but... <laughs> hey, don't stare at the guy in the booth. It's not his fault. 
I have a button, and it does two things, talk, don't talk, and I got them mixed up. So anyway, uh, the free dating advice is this, and it's especially helpful if you're just starting out. If you're just starting to get to know someone, you're just starting to date somebody, this uh, advice really is for you, and the advice is avoid the DTR. Just avoid it. Stay away from it. It can be stressful. It can be uncomfortable. It can even be painful to have it. Does anybody know what DTR stands for, what those letters stand for? Oh, you guys interact. That's awesome. Thanks. Define the relationship. It's that talk. It's that official talk you have eventually in every dating relationship when you basically decide where are things going. Are we casual or are we committed? And it's kind of like asking, like, what are we doing here? Where is this going? And so there's lots of advice available if you would either like to have the DTR or not have the DTR. But basically, what you need to understand is that you really need to know where you stand before you kind of go through that. I don't know if that image isn't working, but it was interesting. There's a bunch of links up there, and uh, both eHarmony and Christianity Today had written articles about the DTR, so you're covered either way. Um, and, and if that's, uh, there it is, and if that's, uh, that's my free dating advice, would anybody like some free marriage advice? Same looks on your face, that's fine, I'm not, I'm not offended. Uh, my free marriage advice would be this, if you're reading articles about online dating, as you prepare for a message you want to share with the church, you should probably tell your wife what you're doing before you start. <laughs> because it's a really hard sell to say you were on the eHarmony website just for the articles. So um, I, I imagine anyway, I don't know from, from experience. But, uh, but that leaves me for my question for today for you guys. And that is, what would your DTR with Jesus be like? Would, how would that go? Is this something where you would talk about how you want to keep things casual or is this something where you want to talk about your commitment? And I know that some, some of you and, and, and some of us would just love that conversation, love a chance just to pour your heart out to Jesus and say, this is how serious I am. This is how serious I'm taking things. This is how great my love for you really is. But I think for others, it would be a difficult conversation. It would really make you uncomfortable when you had to admit, you know, I'm just not really that into you. And I'm just not sure how committed or how serious I want to be taking this. And uh, just like we saw with the people in the video, when you ask mo uh, most people if they believe in Jesus, most people say yes. But what also like we saw in the video, the responses you'll get range everywhere from he's the savior of the universe to oh, he's a cool guy back in the day with a beard. And if you think about it and you look through the, uh, through the scriptures, what you realize is that Jesus was never really interested in having admirers. He was never really interested in just having crowds following him around, chanting his name. What he, what he really wanted was people not physically following, but spiritually following. And, and I'll tell you, if I'm honest with you here today, uh, I spent most of my life in a very casual relationship with Jesus. I would even say three years ago, I told you that story. That's still where I was, in a casual relationship. I like Jesus. I like to come to church sometimes. You know, I give to the church. I own several Bibles. I'd even read some of them once in a while. But I never, ever had that sense that I was connected to Jesus, that I was in partnership with Jesus, that I was a friend to Jesus. And I think that's so often where we struggle when we come to the DTR conversation. So to better help you have that conversation and to, better have, to help you better understand what you maybe need to think about before you have it, I want to share with you two other questions. And these are questions that Kyle Eidelman poses in his book. And the first one is this. Have you made a decision to believe in Jesus, or have you made a commitment to follow Jesus? A lot of people have made a decision to believe in Jesus. We saw it in the video. Usually at church or at a youth event, they accept Christ because they want to get right with God. 
but Jesus is asking for more. And so if you have our Bibles here today, that's great. I almost said tonight. Um, you want to pull those out. If you have one, that's, uh, find your way into Luke 9. And if, I know that if you're doing it on your tablet, it's better to have the whole thing. So we're just going to start with Luke 9. We'll put it up on the screen because we kind of move around a lot tonight, uh, today. But uh, here's what it says in Luke 9. It says, Then he said to the crowd, that he being Jesus, If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. You see, when Jesus was explaining what he wanted his relationship with us to be like, casual wasn't an option. And this is, is far from a new idea. Thomas Kempis, a uh, good Dutch boy here, he wrote this way back in 1468. He said, Jesus has many who love the kingdom of God, but few who will bear a cross. There are many who desire his comfort, but few who will sacrifice. All want to rejoice with him, but few are willing to follow after him. There are many who admire his miracles, but there are few who follow in humility. Because here's the thing. If you read through the New Testament, you're going to find that Jesus tells us to believe in him five times, but he asks us to follow him more than 20. And in Luke 14, Jesus actually has a DTR chat with some of the crowds that are following him, and he tells them, you need to consider the cost. He says, consider the cost. And he says, you wouldn't start a construction project without knowing if you could finish it. And then in, in, in Luke 14, starting in verse 27, he says the same thing that he just said in Luke 9. He says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, then you cannot be my disciple. But then he continues and he says, but don't begin until you count the cost. And I was thinking about it. I mean, that's really the definition of a serious commitment, isn't it? Counting the cost. If you're buying a house, you count the cost. You seriously and carefully consider your decision. If you're changing careers, you consider the cost. You think very carefully about what it's going to mean to make this decision or to not make this decision. If you're getting married, obviously you count the cost, not just for your wedding, but for your whole life. Is this the direction I want to be going in? I carefully consider that decision. And actually, that reminds me of, a, of another kind of difficult conversation, a lot like the DTR that has to do with marriage, and it's the are you sure talk. Any of you have the are you sure talk with your parents? That's where they say, are you sure this is the right guy? Are you sure this is the right time? Are you sure you want to do this? Um, my are you sure talk was extremely awkward for me because my parents asked Candace. And uh, I was okay until they said, is he really the right guy for you? And it kind of, I don't know why yours are laughing. That's a true story. It's a painfully true story. But anyway, so that's question one. Question one, have you made a decision to believe in or have you made a commitment to follow Jesus? Question two is this, and I think this one's a little more common. Are there certain areas of your life that are off limits to Jesus? Or does Jesus have an all-access pass? Francis Chan put it this way. If there are certain parts of your life that Jesus is not allowed access, it's a little like saying, Jesus, I give you the key to my heart. But in actuality, the keys won't open all the doors. Maybe the key won't open the door labeled money or relationship or sex or success or work. There are areas that we've decided Jesus shouldn't be involved in. We decided they're off limits. And so we're really defining the relationship on our own terms. And it's clear that Jesus has asked us to make a complete commitment. I think the one way to see that is you look at the first public sermon that Jesus ever really um, um, preached. We, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus spoke on a number of areas that we often think are off limits. He talked about sex and lust and cheating on your spouse. He talked about marriage and divorce. He even talked about violence and revenge and unforgiveness in our hearts. And he talked about money and stress and politics. And these are all things that we typically kind of hold back from God. We kind of put that in our domain and we put the spiritual in God's domain. 
because we often say to ourselves that we don't mind some changes, but the problem is Jesus doesn't want some changes. He wants to turn our lives upside down. Uh, Kyle Eidelman in his book, Not a Fan, says this, we want a bit of touch-up work, but Jesus wants to do a full renovation. We're thinking tune-up, Jesus says overhaul the engine. We think maybe a fresh coat of paint, Jesus wants to do an entire remodel. Because Jesus doesn't just want a small part of our lives that are, is labeled religion or church or Sunday morning. He won't settle for those brief moments when we think on him, when we pray for him, usually when we need something. And the reason is this, Jesus wants you to love him as much as he loves you. And so what I want to do with our remaining time here this morning is I want to look at two, two uh, guys from the New Testament, two gentlemen from the New Testament, and see what their invitation to Jesus, uh, see what their response to Jesus' invitation was. And the first one is someone we all know by name, Matthew. And we all know Matthew as a tax collector. And it seems like I've been talking a lot about tax collectors lately with Matthew and Zacchaeus. And, you know, if you work for the CRA, God bless you. I'm not, I'm not picking on you here today. But back in Jesus' time, they were seen as sinners and they were seen as traitors. And it seems, it seems really harsh to say this, but I'm also sure that Matthew would have been a massive disappointment to his parents. I'm sure his parents had a very different plan for their son. And the reason I think I know this is because the Bible tells us that Matthew had been given a different name from his parents. And that name was Levi. Write that one down. Here's the thing. Levi was a name that meant something. Uh, it meant that his parents had hoped that he would serve God. Just like the Levites of the Old Testament, he was, they were set aside as priests and holy men. And from the day that Matthew was born, he would have been set aside, which is kind of an old-timey term for saying he was protected and trained to be a spiritual leader of Israel. And it would have meant a number of things. Matthew's father and probably his grandfather were most likely religious men in the temple. By age 12, he would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. So if you have a paper Bible with you, just stick your finger in the beginning of Genesis and the end of Deuteronomy. Imagine he would have, by the age of 12, memorized this. I know some kids who are 12 who don't know their phone number. And he would have memorized this. And he would have then apprenticed under a rabbi. And it seems, though, that he didn't make the cut because he wasn't a holy man. He wasn't a rabbi. He was hated. In the words of the Bible, he was detested, loved by God, but despised by men. And so one day, Matthew was sitting by the side of the road collecting taxes. And he sees Jesus coming. And in Matthew 9, 9, it says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Follow me and be my disciple. Does anyone know what a disciple is? How would you define that? Someone who it's basically someone who followed an apprenticed under someone. So Jesus is really asking Matthew to follow him so that he can follow him. And it's interesting in the Baker's Bible Dictionary, I don't know if you ever heard of that, I haven't, but I found it in there. It refers to a disciple as some, it says it's never used as a pupil receiving instruction. That's not what a disciple was. Rather, it was defined as a close relationship with a person uh, and, and the apprentice for the purpose of becoming like the, apprentice, like the teacher. It wasn't to just learn what they knew, but it was to live the way they lived. And so when he said, follow me, you know, when we say follow me, it's usually literal. Candace grabs her car keys and says, follow me. I run after her saying, are we getting ice cream? But that's not what it meant to a rabbi 2,000 years ago. And by the way, it's never ice cream. It's... Uh, usually the dentist, but uh, to Matthew, this was an invitation to follow a great rabbi, the greatest rabbi, a rabbi who had been traveling around all over Israel, preaching and healing and performing miracles, and, and at this point, Jesus still had that rock star status. Everywhere he went, there were crowds following, 
hanging on his every word. And Matthew would have known who Jesus was long before he ever spoke to him. And it wasn't a sure thing that Matthew would do this. Following a rabbi was a 24-7 commitment. And in Jesus' case, it meant that Matthew would be calling Jesus Lord. And it meant not just knowing what Jesus knew, but it meant living how Jesus lived. And remember, Matthew literally committed sin for a living. Now, the word Lord in the New Testament, it's interesting because we often hear it connected to the fact that Jesus was God, which of course is true. But the word Lord here is a bit different. And if we take a quick peek at the Greek, because Dave's here, and I always like to look at the Greek when Dave's here, uh, what we realize is that the word Lord in Greek, and, and that's what Matthew was writing when he wrote this, is kurios. And kurios meant master. And if you were calling someone kurios, that means you were calling yourself a doulos. And that's the, that's the Greek word for slave. Now, Matthew was not actually a slave to Jesus, and Jesus was not actually a slave owner, but the language is that strong. It was an ironclad commitment, not something that you would or could take lightly. So when you see men in, the era, uh, in this era calling Jesus Lord, they're not understanding that Jesus is God, but rather what they're doing, it's a sign that they have given their lives to the teaching and the instruction of Jesus. And this is what Jesus' disciples were willing to do. They were giving up all their rights as individuals, and they were making Jesus the master of their lives. Recently, Pastor Mark was sharing, uh, and, and he said, the importance of staying, he said it's important to stay focused on keeping the main thing the main thing. And he suggested that you should be able to create a one-sentence job, uh, one job description for yourself. Just know that you're focused. And, uh, you know, a doulos could do better than that. A doulos had a one-word job description, obey. No exceptions, just obey. So when Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, it's clear. He was not just asking Matthew to come in or come along or be one of the many people following him around as he traveled. He was asking Matthew to be a follower. And he's asking you to be a follower. And he's asking me to be a follower. Believe, of course, but then follow. And although you may not have been a professional sinner like Matthew was, we've all fallen short. And just like Matthew, we've done things that leave us far from God. But we have to remember, it's not what we can do for Jesus. It's what Jesus can do for us. Now, how do I know this is true? How do I know that uh, this, this is uh, accurate, what I've just said to you? Just do this. This is what I did. Go home and read the book of Matthew. Read the stories as written by Jesus, uh, stories of Jesus as written by Matthew, all 28 chapters. And as, you re as Matthew recounts the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the suffering at the cross, and the joy of seeing his resurrected Lord and Savior, after you're done reading that, reading that, just close your Bible, close your eyes, and just ask yourself one question. Who is Matthew? Who, how would you describe him? Is he a professional sinner, despised and detested? Or is he a fully forgiven, fully committed follower of Jesus who gave up his old life to follow after Jesus? Because if you want to see the power of God to change lives, just read the book of Matthew. But uh, I think what Matthew had to understand before he even got up out of his, out of his uh, tax collector's booth was this, it matters who you follow. And I'm sure you, uh, you all have a GPS in your phone, yeah? You guys all have, know what GPS is? Unless you're in Miss Laidlaw's class, you, you probably know what, Ms., uh, what uh, a GPS is. But I, I just kind of, I don't know if you ever heard of this, but there's something called uh, Google Map Fails. So this is, especially when the technology was new, Google Map often got it wrong. And so you would get things like this. And, and I'm, I'm a pretty clever guy. By the time I get to step 12, 13, 14, I realize there's something wrong. But uh, I didn't realize, I might not realize it right at the beginning. Uh, the second one here is, uh, you know, everybody wants... Uh, a hotel room nice and close to the airport so they don't have to get up early in the morning, but that might be a bit too close. 
And finally, I, I had this explained to me last night. The, the third one's actually what they call an Easter egg. It was meant as a joke, unless you actually punched it in, and it has you swimming across the Atlantic Ocean if you want to actually go from, uh, from uh, California to wherever that is, Stockholm. And so, you know, the thing, of, the thing about it, and I've had, you know, much smaller versions of this happen to me. The thing is, when you start following, you don't assume they're wrong. I don't know about you guys. I don't sit before I leave, check my phone, and check a map and make sure that it's all right. I just kind of assume. I just start following. And uh, it's, it's never that instant where it's just like, this can't be right. It's usually this feeling we get, like, this doesn't make sense. It's, it, we're, we're heading west again. I'm trying to go east. And it's just kind of a feeling that we get that it may not be right. And so... Um, you know, it definitely matters who you're following. I, I think of the story of, uh, of Billy Graham, and it actually it was told by his son, but Billy Graham was, uh, when he was kind of starting out in the 50s, he was doing a lot of revival meetings, and he just kind of traveled on his own. He didn't have this whole entourage everywhere he went, and he, uh, he, was, he was in a small town, and he decided he wanted to mail a letter before the, the service that night, and so he, uh, he's walking downtown, and he sees a little kid. He says, hey, can you tell me where the post office is? The kid says, yeah, just turn on Maple Street. It's easy to find. And so Billy Graham, being Billy Graham, pauses and says, hey, if you come to the service tonight out at the church, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. And the kid says, um, no thanks. He's like, you don't want to know how to get to heaven? He says, no, but if you don't know how to get to the post office, you probably can't tell me how to get to heaven. So I remember when I was a fairly new teacher, I had lots of energy for such things. I decided I was going to take a group of kids uh, camping in Tobermory. And, uh, you know, I knew how to get there. I had a map. It was 15 years ago. I didn't have a cell phone that would tell me. But I knew how to get there, and there's lots of signs, right? There's signs everywhere telling where to go on the highway, that sort of idea. And it's a pretty easy drive. Once you get out of kind of Hamilton, it's just got, you just kind of head in one direction until you get there. But uh, I ended up not really paying attention to the signs because I thought I knew what I was doing. I ended up getting on the 407 ETR heading the wrong way. And it just started to dawn on me as I'm driving. It wasn't like as I made the turn, I'm like, nope, this is wrong. It just kind of started to dawn on me as I started to see more and more you know, urban areas popping up. And so nobody seemed to have noticed yet. So I just kind of started to realize it. And uh, so there I am. I've got 10 or 12 uh, students in the back of the van, one of those big rented vans. And we're actually heading to Toronto on my trip to Tobermory. And I was really embarrassed because I'm a geography teacher. I mean, I, I literally teach maps and directions as, as my job. And so uh, these kids are not going to take it uh, lying down if I tell them. So, you know, the, the, my pride kind of got the better of me, and so I came up with a plan. I'm going to tell the kids I forgot something at school. I'm going to turn back and go back to school, and I'll go inside for like five minutes, have a coffee or something, and I'll come back out and say, okay, now we're good, and then we'll get on the 403 East like I was supposed to the, in the first place. And I, I'll be honest with you, I was going to do it. I start making my way over to the exit lane. I'm thinking, you're like, yeah, lying to children, not a big deal. I'll just, uh, I'll just do this. And so... As I'm just about to get off and make my, make my turn, uh, one of the kids in the back, of course, yells out, uh, I think you're going the wrong way. The sign says Toronto. And I don't remember his name, but his name was probably Jimmy, because it, it's always Jimmy. If you've got a kid named Jimmy, he's a handful, let me tell you. But, but to, so it's like, thanks, I really appreciate that. And it's like, okay, so now I'm busted. I can't do this. I'm going to have to just make that slow turn, which means getting off the 407, which they bill you for, getting back on the 407, which they bill you for again. And then, uh, so I'm going to have these four bills I have to explain to my, uh, to my uh, head secretary when I'm asking for extra funds. And then, of course, I get, uh, I get to the point where I suddenly realize, well, this is a rented van. So now budget charged me four times for getting on the 407, getting off and getting on and getting off. And so in the end, it was just an embarrassing situation. And I just kind of, um, you know, at that point, 
it was, it, there was nothing I could do about it except for just say, you know what, this is the wrong direction. I have to turn around. And I mean, you know, I, I should be thankful for Jimmy. You know, he, uh, he was willing to kind of uh, take that off my plate for me, and so I didn't have to go through with it. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, if I recall, Jimmy didn't pass that final exam. But uh, <laughs> uh, summer school builds character, that's what I always say. So um, he's fine, he's fine. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's this idea that I was so sure of myself and then it was just this kind of, something had to stir within me. And in this case, it's, it's, the, it's what I'm driving through. Is suddenly it's starting to, starting to make me realize there's something wrong here. Because it absolutely matters who you're following. And, uh, you know, in Matthew 19, we get to meet our second man. Matthew was the first. And this second man is never named. But he's described to us using four words. Dave, you ready? Tell me if I get these right. Ninaskeros, Closisos, Archon, and Sodra. Sodra. We don't have that sound in our alphabet. You know who I'm talking about, right? Here, let me, let me help you out. Neoniscos means a relatively young person. Plusios means having an abundance of earthly possessions. I like this part. Exceeding the normal experience. Archon means being an authority, being an official in an administrative capacity. And Sphodra means a very high point on a scale. Now you know who I'm talking about, right? Wealthy, young, in authority, and the word very was tied to wealthy. So we're talking about the rich, young ruler. We're never told his name, but we're, he's described by those four words. And uh, now to an outsider, the rich, young ruler seemed to have it all. He wasn't despised by Matthew. When he approached Jesus, he was respected right away because of who he was and what he seemed to have. And just like the rich, young ruler in Matthew 19, most of us will come to a point where we're asked to choose between Jesus and something else that we really love. And so uh, in Matthew 19, 16, we'll start there. It says someone, and again, in the original Greek, it would have given those four words. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Wait, why is he calling him teacher? What happened to kurios? Kurios means master, right? He's not calling him that. He's calling him teacher because this man hadn't made a commitment. He was coming out to ask a question. It's a great question. It's probably a question most people would ask. But he says to him, you know, um, what do I have to do to get into heaven? The emphasis here was on the good things that the rich young ruler was probably already doing. And we often want to do that. We often want to follow Jesus, but we don't want it to interfere with our lives. J.D. Greer in his video series, Can't Believe, he discussed a survey created by a group called the Barna Group. It's a Christian organization that does surveying. And in 2011, they did a survey which asked Americans, and I think the Canadian response would be similar, and they were asked to agree or disagree with this statement. I have made a personal commitment to Jesus. So in other words, they prayed the sinner's prayer. And then they compared their responses to lifestyle questions, such as, do you recycle? How many cars do you own? Um, you know, how often do you go on vacation? But they also kind of mixed in a bunch of ethical, morality-based questions. And when they tabulated it all up, and they compared those who had said that at one point, it was over half, they had made a commitment to Jesus, and those who said they never had, there were a number of categories that were the same for both those who claimed to be followers and those who said they never were. And these are the categories. Gambling, looking at pornography, stealing, lying, gossiping, abusing alcohol, and getting even with people who had offended them. And this led the researcher of this Christian group to release the following statement. It said, the respect, patience, self-control, and kindness of Christians should astound people but the lifestyle and relationships of believers are not that much different than others. You see, the people who had in this study had made a commitment, 
but they weren't committed. It's kind of like several years ago, MSNBC did a report on what they called the new vegetarian. In this report, they interviewed a lady named Christy Pug. And during the interview, they asked her, what's the hardest part of being a vegetarian? And she said, well, I really like bacon. And you see, she's part of a new breed of vegetarian that avoid eating meat unless they want to eat meat. And they call themselves, and this is true, flexitarians. Christy put it this way, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm not 100% committed. It's a, I guess that means I'm a flexitarian too, because I don't eat meat unless you know, I'm hungry. But it's interesting though, because I think it's so similar to how we so often treat our faith. You know, I'm really committed to Jesus, but don't involve me in ideas like, you know, saving sex for marriage. I mean, that's just old-fashioned. Or forgiving the person who hurt me just makes me a pushover. Or serving the poor, who has time? You see, I'm fully committed to Jesus, but I really like bacon. I remember, and remember what we said about Matthew, following Jesus meant leaving your old identity behind. You didn't keep the parts you liked and then just take from Jesus what you liked from him. Matthew left behind his tax collector's booth. Peter left behind his fishing nets. And we were all asked to count the cost and to think about what we would be leaving behind. And so let's just continue with this. Uh, we'll reread uh, uh, verse 16 in Matthew 19 here. Someone came to Jesus with the question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not falsely testify. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've, I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? And then Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But here's the thing. This isn't really a statement about money or wealth. If this, if this guy had been known as the unforgiving young ruler, Jesus would have talked to him about forgiveness. If he was known as the hypocritical young ruler, Jesus would have talked to him about confession. And if he was known as the proud young ruler, Jesus would have talked to him about humility. But because he's the rich young ruler, Jesus speaks to him about the things in his life that he's really committed to. And then in verse 22, but when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Henley Stanley says it like this, the problem with this man was not that he had money. The problem was that the money had the man. It was that one thing that he couldn't do. And I believe Jesus, when Jesus gave him those lists, they're all from the Ten Commandments. He gave him the ones that he knew this man would have no problem saying, I've never murdered, I've never cheated, I've never done this. But then he brought up the one thing that he knew he would cause him to struggle. And in case you're thinking maybe Jesus is just kind of being a little bit harsh with this guy, I mean, he did come and ask the question. I give him full credit for that. Uh, if you read the same uh, retelling in Mark, uh, Mark 10, 21, it says that Jesus looked at the man and he loved the man. And then he told him what he had to do, what he had to give up. And you know, I'm sure if this man could have been a flexitarian, he would have been following Jesus, but he had to choose. He had to walk away sad because he knew what he was being asked to give up was more than he could. And in our lives, it may not be money. It could be a job you have, a relationship, a question of honesty in the workplace, but remember that the rich young ruler came to Jesus. He sought Jesus out to ask, what must I do? He wasn't avoiding him. And how do I get into heaven? And the problem, is that not, the problem isn't that he didn't want to sacrifice. It's that there was something he wouldn't sacrifice. Because let's be honest, denying yourself sounds pretty bad. Uh, that's just because most of us believe that the things we have belong to us, not to God. 
And we really don't trust God enough to give him our happiness. We think we need stuff for that. And you see, that's what many of us do. We hold something back. And I believe the reason we hold something back is because we're not really sure. We're not really sure that God is as good as God says he is. We feel like we need to we keep ourselves in that mix instead of giving ourselves over to Jesus. And so the rich young ruler walked away, and the disciples were just blown away by what they just heard. They were witness to this. And it says in verse 25, uh, still in Matthew 19, 25, the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that the world, when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you, will have been my you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses and brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or property for my sake will receive 100 times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. I mean, that's a promise, isn't it? I love the way Francis Chan puts it. He says, at the end of our lives, anything that we have given up for the sake of Jesus, it won't have been a sacrifice. It will have been an honor. And so uh, if you could walk up to Jesus and just ask the question, if you could just walk up to Jesus, just like the rich young ruler did, and ask him, what would he tell you that you needed to give up? What is it that's so important to you that you would turn and walk away sad, knowing that it's just too much to give up? For the rich young man, it was his wealth. It's going to be something for me. It's going to be something for you. So I wonder if we could just return to those first two questions uh, that we began with. Have you made a decision to believe in Jesus, or have you made a commitment to follow Jesus? We saw Matthew was asked to follow Jesus, and he accepted. His past didn't matter anymore. What mattered was that he made this commitment to leave his old life behind. And then question two, are there certain areas of your life that are off limits to Jesus, or does Jesus have full access? The rich young man wanted to follow Jesus. He sought him out. But when he, when he asked Jesus what he must do, he realized there were parts of his lives that were off limits, parts of his life that he would not give over to Jesus. He did consider the cost, but when he considered that cost, he found it to be too high, and he simply walked away. So I'll just leave you with this. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for you to have a DTR with Jesus. I pray for you guys before we go. Lord, just thank you so much for just being here today. Um, Holy Spirit, you're here. You're amongst us. And uh, you have the power to stir hearts, Lord. And I just pray that you would just stir some hearts today, just to, just to put some thought into it, Lord. What, what, what is it about my relationship with you that I would change? How can I be more committed? How can I, how can I step out in faith and, and demonstrate that? And whether we, we live a life like Matthew or like this rich young ruler, Lord, we know that we all need you in our lives. And we all need to be able to, to look to you, Lord, as, as that, that father figure, that, that person in our lives who is just never going to lead us astray. We know that you're good and that you're good all the time. And Lord, I just pray for, for a week of, uh, of maybe some uncomfortable conversations, um, whether, it, whether it's direct with you or whether it's with friends or spouses or whoever it might be, Lord, that we're just uh, pondering and allowing the Holy Spirit just to, just to have our way in, in those discussions, Lord. And I just pray that we would uh, um, come out the other side, Lord, having a stronger sense of what our commitment to you should be. I just pray this in your name, Jesus.